My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to yet another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode seven of the show. We are continuing our journey through the entire Marvel Universe. After having spent 10 years watching it on TV and movies, we're going back to the originals and talking about all that. And we are beginning at the end of our July 1962 coverage with Tales to Astonish 36, which is everybody's favorite Ant-Man. And what's great about this issue is you get to summarize it. Oh, crap. You know, you would think (laughs) that I would like think about that when I'm reading it and sort of internalize what happens in the comics maybe a bit better. Um, okay, I'm going to get the cover out so I can at least remember which one we're talking about. Um, well, I'll tell you, I've tried to internalize it while I read them. Mm-hmm. And last episode or the last couple episodes, I read them in the wrong order. Oh, uh, don't, Just don't slightly. Do <laughs> so I'm doing every other one. Okay, I'm in charge of this one. And then right at the last minute of the show, it's like, oh, actually, we have to flip these. And now I don't know what I'm going to be summarizing. So it didn't really work to plan ahead. Okay, this might not be a super detailed summary, but I do remember the highlights of this because I actually like this story. Um, And uh, before we get into it, though, I did want to mention at the the setting out here that I realized today while I was reading comics that this is, you know, 10 years since the Marvel Cinematic Universe started, which means it's 10 years since I got back into superhero comics. Oh, because of Iron Man. Because of Iron Man. Iron Man. I I was already reading Star Wars comics, but Iron Man was my gateway drug back into superhero comics. I started reading Iron Man. I started reading some other Marvels. I decided to try out Superman, which he, you know, quickly became a favorite character. Mm -hmm. And, um, but before 2008, we're talking like 1994, 95 was the last time I really read anything off the shelves. Yeah. Uh, Maximum Carnage killed my Spider-Man collecting. I kept writing 2099 for a little while. I, I remember thought Maximum Carnage was a very popular series, no? I'm sure it was popular, you just but it's like kind of it. like Secret Wars. It's a lot of bashing your, your action figures together. Okay. And not actually a whole lot of Carnage. Like oh, the character, yes, but killing, not so much. Like I just read his original trilogy, the first three issues that had the first Carnage story, and the dude's a monster. Right. But I think in Maximum Carnage, if I remember the last time I read it, and I heard Andy and Michael talk about it on Hey Kids Comics. I think that there's actually not a lot of carnage in Maximum Carnage. <laughs> there's that other guy. Not that we need to derail onto Spider-Man, but what was that guy? Cardiac or something like that? Was that Maximum Oh, carnage? Cardiac was from that era too. He might have been yeah, in that. That's kind of the last I remember reading Spider-Man also. So maybe that series just killed a lot of us. Maybe. Hmm. So um, this is Trapped by Comrade X. It's not actually the title. But as have on the cover, he's trapped in this box with an ant, and it says that he's been walked into the trap of Comrade X. Um, we're actually going to have two Ant-Man stories this episode, and the next issue is also trapped by somebody. So I guess when you're an ant-sized guy, you get trapped a lot. <laughs> That's Spoilers. Happens, right? <laughs> um, so this is – this is okay. So we start out with um, people in Russia hearing about the Ant-Man. And they decide they want to go check it out and try to get his size-changing powers. Because if they can change their people's sizes, they can have armies and take over the world and make everyone children of Mother Russia. Um, we get introduced to some of um, Ant-Man's Ant brand stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he has this little setup in his house with a little catapult gun that can cave. shoot him wherever he wants to go. Right. And then he sends out little signals to the ants and they make a little pile for him to land on, which I guess his mass is so little doesn't hurt him or the ants that he lands on. Um, but yeah, it's very cute and clever. And then there's a little doorway at the bottom. He can walk back into his house as an ant-sized person. Um, so <clears throat> I love the catapult gun. It's like super 60s, super gimmicky and super cheesy. And I love it. This story, uh, there is a girl. Oh, the Russian people decide they're going to send a special agent Comrade X, hence the title, to the um, to the states. So there is a woman who walks into the police office. She's looking for help. Um, I think she is the wife or girlfriend of Comrade X, mm-hmm. and she is scared of for her safety. Uh, the Ant Man is in, like, goes into the police office and like crawls into her purse. I think. Right. Yep. 
And he, so she carries him back to her place and he crawls out of the purse and says, yo, I'm Ant-Man. She's like, oh, it's Ant-Man. He says, yes, I'm Ant-Man. It's Ant-. So um, they do that for a minute. And yeah. he gets the Just clarification. Right. He gets the clarification from her of what's going on. And unbeknownst to us at the time, the end reveal, he has figured it out by this point. Because we find out later that it was while he was in her purse, he learned something. So he goes about his business. He ends up facing off with Comrade X. There's some actions. There's some shenanigans. They like, he has all the ants crawling over the fluorescent light panels to block out the light so that he can get a better fight in with Comrade or something. I don't know. Anyways, ends up pulling the mask off of Comrade X. And it's the woman from earlier. She was only pretending to be a helpless waif. She is actually the super badass spy from the Soviet Union here in the States to capture the Ant-Man. And instead, she gets taken by the police, maybe. Um, But whenever he was in her purse, he figured something out about her. There was something about the contents of her purse that led him to conclude that she was actually a dude. uh, That she was actually masquerading as Comrade X. It was a very subtle clue. Uh, it was the rubber mask. The rubber mask was in the purse. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, I've always loved how comic masks and even probably early, I guess, like Mission Impossible and all that, like the masks just like completely look real. Rubber masks always look real. They look like normal faces. Right. I do like how like the more Tom Cruise Mission Impossibles like actually tried to go legit with those. Um, I don't know if you've seen those, but like they actually have computers like scanning the face and like recreating it molecule by molecule. And then they have like, oh, that's a, voice, cool. a voice box and all just to make it, I mean, it's still ridiculous, but at least it's not just a mask you pull over your face and then put some like crazy glue on to attach it to your cheeks, you know? Well, it's funny. Cause I mean, in a lot of 60s TV shows, they'll have another actor standing yeah. in to make the face look completely normal or real. And yeah. then they reach over and grab the face and scene change. It's somebody they're pulling over mask off of. Um, of course, this was epitomized at Austin Powers, whatever right. it works for him at the beginning. Like this cute little, you know, sexy way a server person is, is talking to him and he punches her in the face and pulls off yeah, the that's mask. A man, with this man. Buff, ugly, hairy legged dude. Well, um, actually, I think what he did is he thought that his boss's mother had a mask on and she didn't that that well that's the reprise of the joke later in the film right 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 he punches the boss's mom in the face and she's not a man she's just mannish and they always have like completely different body types like the six foot six guy puts on a mask and now he's five foot eleven and right you know it It worked well for robin there was an episode of batman where robin wore a mask and they had a girl yeah uh, an actress and uh, that that was allegedly dick grayson wearing a mask yeah and then and then lastly uh, I don't know if you ever seen Live and Let Die, the Bond movie. The Not first Roger, the first Roger Moore Bond movie has a villain in it who's masquerading as a different villain, and they actually went legit mask with him mm-hmm. as opposed to a different actor, and it's the most horrible special effect in the world. So, like, you could actually tell the dude's obviously wearing some sort of weird latex skin mask on his face. And he's fooling nobody. That kind of just proves how, like, a mask really would not work. But Wow. I applaud them for trying to do yeah, the they actual tried it. gimmick. Yeah. And this was the 70s when makeup wasn't, you know, as amazing as it is now. They could right. probably pull it off better now. But um, So, anyway, yeah, I, I think that summary was pretty good. Um, the only thing I would change is she didn't go to ask for help for safety. She said, I'm coming here to tell you that Comrade X is after you. And I want to tell you that because he was cheating on me and I hate him. Oh, that's and right. Then She's she guilted. Said, and so she tells him where to go, and that's how he knows to find – but, of course, he's walking into a trap. That was the whole point. She sets up this trap. She says, go to this boat. That's where he's going to be. And then when he gets there, they're all ready for him. But he wins anyway because he knew that she was really Comrade X. Comrade X. Yeah. Um. So this is another commie bastard story. It's right on the cover. Uh, yeah. I'm going to say between the two tropes we've been stuck with, I prefer alien invasion, but <laughs> – but, oh, uh, oh, but next episode, or maybe the one after, with the Hulk, the Hulk number four, we're going to get both. Like, it's oh, both yeah. in one story. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. I like the ants. Um, the, really? You know, he, he's walking around, he's riding the ants, and they're his little spies. And, I mean, if you're going to be Ant-Man, you got to commit, right? 
And I don't know. It is not awesome <laughs> at all. It's ridiculous, but fun. Okay. I'll concede that it's at least requiring them to be creative, which uh-huh. I like. Like he's got this whole – instead of like a back computer that alerts him anytime the police say a keyword, he's got ants that alert him anytime someone says a keyword. Like he can tell the ants, you know, anytime you hear someone on the phone say Comrade X, there's like a, you know, a pipeline of ants that like eventually can get the message to him, right? So With that's kind of radio neat. signal antenna. Right. That doesn't really make sense. I've, we already – established but but on the other hand i kind of am sick of the ants because they really make that his thing he is just the ant guy that's his power is the ants every solution is the ants you know they're his buddies they're his helpers yeah but to me it's like or you could just punch them because you have full-size man strength and you're you know one inch tall Mm -hmm. why not just do that once in a while and also they move to that yeah i know they're going to like Right now, it's like that's his main power is he's an ant. he can control ants. Like his size is almost inconsequential to the fact that he can control ants, you know. Um, he – the other thing that bothers me is he seems to like uh, be stuck at that size when he turns to that size. I guess right now because he rubs lotion on his skin and then he, you know, pours a potion on his body or something and turns to Ant-Man. Are we still potioning like in this one? We're not gassing yet? I don't – okay. Either way, ga- it's not a button. Yeah, he, uh, this is where he trans- he was doing lotion last issue. This is where he transitions to gas. He's, he has two vials okay. of gas in his belt. But like once he becomes small, it's like that's it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't he doesn't really go back and forth where it could be useful maybe to return to normal size once in a while to like hail a cab and get home or to get to the bad guy's house faster. Or oh no, I agree because like so he's riding off on his little ant right. So it, everyone who's seen Honey I Shrunk the Kids knows. That distances are magnified if your size is reduced. Right. right. So to get home, even if it's eight blocks, which it's not, but that's going to be miles of walking on mm-hmm. an ant. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And it feels like these ants are doing a lot of things that ants can't do, which I don't want to get too into because, again, we're talking 1962. And there's a lot of things all these characters are doing that they can't do, not just ants, but well, he's like also planting them. Like, I'm sorry, you, you were going to make some. I was just going to say, sometimes I wonder, like, if an ant can actually do what he's having them do. Uh, and, and it says that they're planted, like, in the different locations. Like, I was mm-hmm. assuming he took he took advantage of existing ant colonies, but evidently he's like, and I can picture, I can picture like grown up Henry Pym, like walking into an establishment with like a little case of ants and like setting them aside. Like, go on, fellas, there you go. You know, and it's yeah. just, oh yeah, it's just funny. Um, but the idea so, of shrinking down the armies that the Russians have, we literally saw this in the Fantastic Four Seven with Kurgo and Planet X. Planet right. X and Comrade X. I bet you there's a connection. Oh, God, yeah. And then, anyway, if they learn to shrink, what are they going to do? Because they're not trying to steal his ant-controlling technology. And that's apparently his biggest power. So, I don't know. He doesn't <laughs> really demonstrate. I mean, there's things in here I just feel like all he would have to do is just, like, punch the guy in the shin and this would be over. But yeah. Well, I think the idea is that if we just get our if we can just get our forces there, then once right. they're in there, then they can grow back to normal size and take over the world or whatever. Yeah. So, like for instance, Comrade X's biggest uh, big big old uh, like uh, plan is lure Ant Man in, and then I have exterminator spray. Ha ha ha! Right. Right. It's like, well, what if you just grew back to full size? That really just wouldn't work anymore, would it? Uh, I see what you're saying there. You know what I yeah. mean? Like he, it's like he's stuck as a, you know, good or bad. He's now stuck in ant form until he can undo it somehow. I guess. What's well, like in the Ultimates? Whenever um, Henry Pym is going up against Janet, mm-hmm. and of course they're super dysfunctional and they're right. fighting, yeah. and she shrinks down to wasp size, and, and he then, sprays her. Yeah, and but so it she's. Also- Go ahead. Sorry. No, she's having her like, what do you call that kind of reaction whenever you're mm-hmm. reacting, overreacting to something natural? Asphyxiating? Yeah. Or, yeah. Hype, hype, I don't know, something. She's having a big reaction and he sends ants on her like cowering under the bed. It's so terrible. Oh, yeah. But yeah. If, if she could just grow back, then she wouldn't right. be having that problem. And, and a testament to like the movies, Ant-Man movies. I mean, he would just 
be full size and then run at you and then shrink and run across your gun and punch you in the face, you know? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, he does control ants too, but they don't like solve every single freaking problem he has. Uh, I think it's a matter of um, setting out with an idea and using that idea and then deciding yeah. that there are other ways to tell the stories later. And yeah. because you and I have the benefit of, you know, True. all of the Adam stories, all of the later Ant-Man stories in the right. Ant-Man movie, they'll, 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 they'll figure it out eventually or they won't. Yeah. yeah. I just wonder how exciting this is to people. I don't know if there's any letter pages in this book, is there? I don't think so yet. Or, or I think they I add letter pages later. I'm just wondering because like Fantastic Four, you can clearly see the reaction in the letter pages. Everybody is so excited. Mm -hmm. At least the filtering letters. There, there are there are there are people who are excited. Yeah, and then Hulk too. There was a lot of guys who are even more excited than Fantastic Four, or at least rank him as number two in excitement level. Mm -hmm. At the point of what we're reading, um, I haven't read anything about Ant Man. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, I did like the flow of the story and how it. Going back and rereading it, it doesn't not make sense for the Ant Man to discover the secret at that point in the story. It's just yeah. hidden very well. Mm -hmm. The scripting is done well enough that there's no indicator that he knows, but there's also nothing to indicate. You know that the, oh they messed up in the script. Yeah. Um, Although you wonder why he didn't just capture her right then and there. Why he went through the uh, rigmarole of falling into the trap. Hey, you were gonna you stole my word. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, because he had the rubber mask right there. Or, or okay, I, I'm going to answer this question for myself. He went to the trap to make them all get arrested because there's a whole boat full of commies that need arresting. Oh, that's right. He needed so, to go get all of them. So if he just arrested her. They'd probably wonder where, how come she didn't come back and escape and all that. And instead, he got in there, took them all down, and then he called the Coast Guard. And page nine and away. ten are so much fun with the ants taking the logs and making their rafts and carrying them out to the boat and like going up the chain. Oh my god, it's so adorable! And the ants get on the boat, they start biting the people, and it's so much fun. I love it. Um, and you're like, oh my god! <laughs> no, not. I mean, like again, I can see the creativity behind it, and it is a different perspective than the other superheroes we're getting. I kind of wonder what the Adam's doing right now. Sometimes when I'm reading this, just to see yeah. if he has equal creativity going on on his end, or because uh, he doesn't have ants, obviously, but he ha he does have a unique perspective, also. And I think the ants are probably also there to help distinguish this guy from the Adam. Mm -hmm. Um, so that he's That's not true. just a ripoff. It's kind of like you were talking about with Mr. Fantastic. He's not as slapstick silly as no. Plastic Man. Right. Um, or the Elongated Man. Uh, and they, they, they quickly find some ways to, ch to restrict his stretching to keep him from being stupid. Now, is Ray Palmer, he's a scientist also, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. And so he they're has, much closer in character than. Yeah, they are. But his costume is like the dwarf well, star yeah. material, whatever, and all oh, that yeah. other stuff. His costume's pretty awesome, actually. I do wonder why Comrade X went through the process of an entire rubber mask. Why not just a fake stash and a wig? Because he's a girl. Okay. But you could put a fake stash and a wig oh. on a girl. Yeah, I guess if it's a an Asian movie, that works. But I don't know. For some reason, we could tell females and males apart in the United States. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, but it's like for some reason in Asian movies, all you gotta do is cut your hair if you're female, and now you're just a boy. Okay, I, I, I don't, I'm not really that familiar with the trope, but I'll, I'll go with you on it. But it's just like I don't know. She, she could put on a. Okay, you're right. Or why wear a mask at all when uh, either way he went to the boat, and now you're there with your henchmen and your spray. You could have just turned around at that point and said, "Ha, sucker!" Like, does it matter that he knows anymore? Yeah, I don't know. Is but you know what? She's wearing the mask in the beginning. So it's like even – does even the commies know that she's really a girl? Like maybe her whole thing is like men get farther than women or something. That could be. She I mean, they never has that, a chance to respond. No. Um, like when he's, when he's being interviewed in the beginning, when she's being interviewed in the beginning, she's Comrade X with the full face mask and the mustache and all that. So they don't know. So there's some – there's a story there. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe whether it's a story worth telling or not, you know, it never got told. But somehow there's a reason that she is masquerading as a guy in this role. Right. And since it is the 60s and since it is, you know, still a very patriarchal culture over there, 
I imagine that she has tricked her way up through, you know, right. Covered up her, her identity. Right. So I, I, I applaud, I applaud comrade X slash Madam X. Or for Stan or Stan and Jack for making the female, the villain. Maybe that's just kind of interesting at this stage. Yeah. So, um, I don't really have anything else except for a couple of wrapping thoughts. Any other, anything else on the issue? Not for me. So we see the Ant-Man is largely working in secret. Like people know who the Ant-Man is, the public and the authorities, they're aware of him and they appreciate his help, but he's still a mystery man. And he's got his ant brand of superheroing down with his catapult gun, his pile of ants and everything else. So he, he's, he's coming along. He's, he's a new hero, but he's doing pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, that wraps up July 1962. Yeah. So it's that time. So we have Tales to Astonish 36, The Incredible Hulk 3, Strange Tales 101, The Fantastic Four 7, and Journey into Mystery 83. So five comics. Do you have a top or a bottom pick? I have a bottom. Okay. Very, Very quickly. And I don't think it's a secret to anybody who heard me review this comic, but Strange Tales number 101. Really, really annoyed me. <laughs> um, almost offended me with just how he's back, stand backpedaled the secret identity thing. Like that alone made that my least favorite comic for this month. So the fact that he brought in the secret identity as a, as a gimmick for the Human Torch, uh, a, I think, is dumb. A, a secret identity that was clearly established as not a secret identity, you know, for gotcha. six issues of the Fantastic Four, and then to just have this little caption that says. Oh, well, a couple guys knew, but they're in college now, so it's okay. This makes perfect sense, even though they were <laughs> just at the Capitol receiving a trophy as Johnny Storm, or he went to the theater as Johnny Storm with the Fantastic Four and got called out as Johnny Storm in the Fantastic Four. Let's just ignore all that, kids. He's got a secret identity now because I want to go back to like DC's superhero secret identity stuff, which is unoriginal, and yeah, it really bothered me. And like you said, he's probably aiming at younger audiences, but mm-hmm. – that almost makes it worse because now he's talking down. He's assuming what, the kids won't be smart. What really bugged me the most is I swear we were just talking about how cool it was that he was – that Stan was – or Jack or whoever made these stories was taking the trope of a secret identity and turning it on its heels. Mm-hmm. You know? Like all these characters didn't really have those kind of secret identities. And then – like, I think literally after we said that, the very next issue is Strange Tales, where Human Torch now has a secret identity. Yeah, and, and honestly, if I had thought about Strange Tales whenever I was writing those things down, I wouldn't have probably brought them all up, because you're right, yeah. it gets all ruined. And that entire story is basically Johnny Storm coming up with creative ways to cover for his secret identity. So it was just really, like, I don't think I like when Marvel has secret identities. I was thinking about that the other day, like, off the air. Just like, most of the characters in the Marvel Universe aren't really about their secret identity, especially now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, obviously, Iron Man for a while he did, and I don't know if he what his status is now, but in the movies, he's out. Captain America right. never really had a great one. Like, the whole government knows who Captain America is, at the very least. Fantastic Four, out in the open, it's like, that's fine. That's the Marvel Universe. Hulk, everybody knows now that Bruce Banner is the Hulk, you know? It does make a lot of sense for these characters to just live their lives and yeah. be heroes. Yeah. It, and it makes sense for the exceptions in the in cinematic universe like like Peter Parker, because he's a high school kid sure. and lives with his aunt. That makes sense for him to keep it a secret. Like street-level heroes, Daredevil, Spider-Man, okay, keep your secrets. And actually, those are even fun stories when your secrets are threatened, you know? Mm-hmm. But, but I don't want that... All the time. That to me seems more like a DC thing, a DC invention, and they should—they're welcome to it. I don't hate it when Superman has sacred identity issues or Batman juggles a secret identity or whatever. But for some reason in Marvel, it's just like it's just a waste of my time because I know in the end this is all just going to come out anyway. So, do you have a do you have a top? Uh, I'm yeah. going to say Fantastic Four number seven wins out over Journey into Mystery because a it's got an alien instead of commie threat. And B, there is a bit in the beginning where they're arguing over whether they should go receive that award mm-hmm. um, that I enjoyed. I liked when the, the I liked the family bickering, and then it all kind of went downhill with a silly story. But at least there was an element that was fun. And I did misspeak earlier, so I said Journey to Mystery eighty three earlier. This is Journey to Mystery eighty four. It's the second um, Thor appearance. It's yeah. the second Thor appearance where he went up against. Uh, this was last last week that we recorded this. He went to Doctors Without Borders and then took on a, a, the Executioner. 
Right. Okay. Yeah. That, that, that mess. Okay. So, um, we came across this month very differently. <laughs> okay. Um, Tales to Astonish 36 and The Incredible Hulk 3 are really the only comics I enjoyed at all from this month. Um, they're strong for different reasons. Okay. Uh, I, I did like them wrestling with the identity and wrestling with how they're going to uh, keep Hulk, you know, how is Rick going to survive with the Hulk going crazy in the cave and the stuff with the ringmaster? I, I like that because it ties into the Spider-Man stuff later. Um, but I actually went with tales to astonish 36 because I do really like the introduction of all this ant stuff. Mm-hmm. I think these the earliest issues of Ant-Man are the strongest ones because they're gimmicky and fun uh, and they haven't run out of ideas yet. Yeah. Um, so tales to astonish 36 is my first. It is the and, most straightforward story, I suppose, if you think about it. Like, yeah, it doesn't turn anything upside down. And as far as bottom, it's not going to be strange tales because even though I don't like the series and the Human Torch series overall, this kind of um, tends to be low in my opinion. The first episode is half decent in my eyes. Like, I mean, just the story they told with him trying to find that guy and, and the roller coasters and everything else. So I, I don't know, but between. Thor and the Fantastic Four, I decided to go with Journey into Mystery 84 for being my bottom because it really was just so ordinary. And I did, I, yeah. Yeah. So, the, uh, Thor was my bottom pick. The villain was really boring in that. And like I said, when we covered it, having the word executioner on a Thor comic on the front had me really excited for all of 0.05 seconds before I realized they weren't talking about that executioner. <laughs> um, so that was a huge letdown. Um, and just like Strange Tales, that story was mostly Donald Blake trying to <laughs> circumvent his uh, secret identity being revealed, too. So mm-hmm. there you go. Two stories in one month where the entire plot is, oh, God, I hope they don't realize I'm Thor or the Human Torch. Right. But that takes us into August of yep. 1962. And again, our comics are divided between two weeks. So we have the first week of August, which is August 2nd, 1962. And the first comic we're going to talk about is Journey into Mystery 85. So speaking of Thor, let me speak a little bit about Thor. So Journey Don't work too hard. You might end up a little Thor. Ha <laughs> uh, Journey into Mystery. It's not going to be the last time. <laughs> Journey into Mystery 85 opens up in Asgard, which is the home of Thor and his Norse god buddies. And we see Loki, uh, who's stuck in a tree. And I guess he's been there for centuries because Thor put him there. They don't really go into why, I don't think. Uh, But they do say that the only way he can get out is if someone walks by that tree and cries. Presumably in a way that, you know, they're feeling sorry for Loki. So no one will ever do that. So he'll never get out. But Loki has... Better ideas that thousand of years that those thousands of years that he's stuck in the tree, he figures out how to kind of control it, make it move to his will a little bit. And Hemdel's walking by, and so he gets the tree to like poke Hemdel in the eye with a leaf, and that makes Hemdel cry. So, technicality Loki is free, and the first thing he wants to do is find the guy who put him in the tree. I think that rhymed, that was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> So he casts a spell to locate Thor, finds out he's on Midgard, which is Earth to us kids, and uh, goes to Earth um, and tries to lure out Thor. I think he turns a couple bystanders. I think they called it negative, Mm -hmm. which didn't mean like, you know, a bad personality. It meant like they're frozen and they're sort of like if you looked at a roll of film. See, yeah, kids, back in the day, there were these cameras that were powered by film instead of digital. <laughs> and you could look up, look at the film and see through the light, like these inverted images of the pictures that you were going to develop. Or if you want me to talk kid lingo, you can go to Photoshop and do the uh, filter for inverse. That's also what a negative right? looks like. So that attracts Donald Blake. He shows up, turns into Thor and generates antimatter or something like that by spinning his hammer backwards because there's a backwards and forwards and Mm -hmm. sprinkles the antimatter dust on them and frees them and then loki's like it's me and thor's like loki and then loki tries to fly away and thor flies after him and loki uses like the sun 
and a little bit of magic dust to like hypnotize Thor's eyeballs. Um, and now Thor's stuck under his spell and he manages to get Thor to like give him his hammer through a little trickery. And of course, then he tells Thor, like, go to that zoo over there and free all, you know, open up all the cages and stuff and cause chaos. So Thor goes off to do that. And while he's doing that, the whole, all this crowd of people are trying to lift Thor's hammer, which is kind of distracting for Loki. And he doesn't notice that after 60 seconds, we all know Thor turns into Donald Blake because he doesn't have his hammer anymore. And that breaks him free of his spell. Donald Blake goes back over, picks up the hammer, turns back into Thor. Loki is none too happy about a Thor that's not hypnotized and tries to escape. Um, and Thor, he tries to fly away, I think, like, with a winged horse or something? I don't know. Mm -hmm. how he, yeah, okay, winged horse. He conjures a winged horse, I guess? Or he found it at the zoo. I don't know. And then... He pulls it off of an ExxonMobil sign. Okay. So he turns something inanimate into an animated object and flies away with it. And Thor finds, like, this big old pipe laying around and, like, throws it at Loki. And it makes him fall into the water, which apparently makes Loki powerless. Um... Thor then grabs Loki while he's still wet, ties him to his hammer, takes him to the top of the tallest skyscraper, and throws him back to Asgard, where <laughs> Loki lands on the steps of a god party, because all the familiar faces are there, and they're like, whoa, hey, it's Loki. And then the hammer like returns to Thor just in time, before he was about to turn into Donald again, and then he climbs back down, and... Jane is there to like Lois Lane him and tell him how awesome Thor is and how sucky he is. The end. Right, right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. I'm sure I missed it, some details, but we can get into those. No, just some like, you know, shenanigans of the chase and everything, but they're not really that important. You hit right. all my notes. Um, Loki, yo. Yeah, and Asgard. I'm kind of surprised Asgard, it happened already. Heimdall, Odin. Um, the Bifrost, which should actually be Bifrost, but we'll go with Bifrost because everybody says that. Uh, I guess if we want to Bifrost, we can wait till Thanksgiving. Well, it's um, Bifrost in the Marvel Universe. And I was going to say, you know, I hope we all realize that Marvel sort of reinterpreted all this mythology into its own, like, its own image, right? Like, yeah. Um, and actually, Roy Thomas addresses some of those points in his run down the road. Okay. Um, but yeah, these. <laughs> like I didn't want I thought I kind of looked up like so here's where I, I are I immediately stopped when it starts with Loki stuck in this tree I thought I wonder if there's actually a tale of Thor sticking Loki in a tree right mm -hmm. um because they don't explain why Loki's in the tree or why Thor put him there and it just feels assume. like that's like maybe where the where the myths end Loki right. was left stuck in a tree forever like, nope no I looked it up I found no information about a tree and then I just realized you know we should just not compare this to Norse mythology ever because what's the point? There is a – like if they were going to pull what was he left doing for all time, there is a situation where um, there's some sort of acid being dripped on him for punishment and his mm. wife is there holding a pan under the acid drip, like in the center of the earth. Ew. He's, this, it's snake venom. Mm. He's tied in the center of the earth underneath snake venom that's like acidic and – but she's holding a basin to catch the snake venom. But when the basin is too full, she has to go empty it. The dripping continues to hit his skin. And that's theoretically where he's trapped for pretty much all time until the end of the world. He's going to get free and, 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 you know, help destroy everything. Um, well, in Marvel, it's a tree. In Marvel, it's a tree. And the um, only other thing I read about in my quick Wikipedia skim of Loki is that Hemdel and Loki are destined to kill each other at Ragnarok. Right. So I thought that was interesting that Hemdel and his little pokey eyeball is the reason that Loki escaped. Not that that'll ever be addressed or anything. But it's interesting to to look at Idris Elba and Tom Hiddleston and how they interact, knowing that they are destined to be arch nemeses and kill mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. And um, again, that's another thing they do some stuff with down the road, way down the road, and issues that we'll probably never contact uh, get to. But uh, I I only know all this because I did a big Thor reading last year. Oh, okay. Um, there's a I, podcast I listen to. What's that? I was just going to say, I haven't read much Thor, so all this is kind of new to me. 
Well, there's a podcast this new called Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, and they took a hiatus last summer because Jay was moving to New York and getting married and getting situated. And so Miles decided to take those 12, 13 weeks and do a Walter Simonson's Thor podcast. Wow. And I thought, oh, that'll be cool. I should read that. But of course, I'm John M. Wilson, so I'm going to read all of Thor leading up to the Walt Simonson run. (laughs) Doesn't he start in the hundreds? He starts in the friggin' 300s. Yeah, so you're insane. So I did it. And did it matter? You know, it did help. Okay. I did feel there there were enough... I mean, Walter Simonson pretty much clears the slate for his stories. Right. But he does follow up on enough plot threads and enough character subplots that I was glad to know what was going on in those characters' lives. I probably would have been fine without it, but I was glad to understand the backstory. Cool. Um, So Hemdall and Loki look weird. Loki looks weird. He's all brown and stuff. Yeah, he's definitely got a – well, and you know what's interesting is Jane thinks he's hot. So <laughs> of course she does. <laughs> well, there could be you could just pass it off that way, but also I wonder if like initially they wanted him to instead of being like this evil mischievous elf-looking guy like they decided all gods are hot. Cuz he does look more attractive than he normally does. I, I wrote down Jane, what are you doing? Yes. Um <sighs> Jane. We'll get to her later. I have some things to say about Jane, but <laughs> So Thor hasn't been seen in ages and no one knows why. I thought that was an interesting bit of scripting there. Who doesn't know why? The gods? Yeah, that's what Loki says. Thor has been gone for ages and no one knows why. Now Loki's been trapped in a tree, so maybe he, maybe they know more than he thinks they know. But Well, yeah, there's no like uh, him interviewing anybody. So how does he know that other than maybe that happened off panel? He investigated or something. Well, we do see in, in future issues, he can see things far away. He basically has all father vision. Oh, um, he, he does it in this issue. That's how he Oh, yeah, yeah, Thor. he does. So he can see stuff even though he's not. He's trapped in a tree, but he can watch the world on television. So it makes me wonder, like, why doesn't Odin know where Thor is if he wanted to know? Yeah. And maybe Odin knows and is not talking. Uh, Odin is definitely the oh. sort of guy who would know and not say. That's very true. So I, I, I imagine this will be retconned someday. I, actually, we already know that. We've already said Donald and Thor are Thor. So there's some shenanigans going on. Yeah, this is the first issue that starts to play with the idea of Thor pre-existing. Like, they don't really talk about it, but it brings in the idea. And and readers start asking questions. Well, how is Thor Thor and Donald Blake is Thor? What's the connection there? You mean pre-existing, like, actually existing in this universe is more than just myth? Because, like, the first issue, there's the hammer and... It says his name Thor, and Donald knows who Thor is, but I guess you could argue that that doesn't mean Thor actually existed. Yeah, well, I'm thinking it existed, like, lived in Asgard, okay. you know, up there and, right. and, and you know, right. stuff with the gods. Oh, yeah, they don't talk about any of that. Like, because you and I, I'm sure we have plenty of stories rolling around our head of, of mythical creatures and characters, but it doesn't mean, like, yeah, so, real. So, so. But like, then, like then the again, idea- he actually found an actual hammer, and it turned him into the physical personification of Thor anyway. Right. So was there a physical personification of Thor before that? Is and that this, guy dead? Right. Because yeah. this, this story says there was a Thor. He was in Asgard. Now he's gone and no one knows why. So it makes you wonder, well, how does that idea connect to this thing that Dawn is turning into? Because, I mean, at least in theory, Dawn is not actually turning into the god Thor. Dawn no. is just gaining the power of Thor. But now they're starting to move into, no, he's actually turning into Thor. And – that's how I've been reading it since the beginning, because like you and I have already said, we know that's what the case is. Like, mm-hmm. he really is Thor. Donald has always been Thor. He just thought he was human. Um, right. Spoilers. That's what we're yeah. Um, but sometimes I read this and go, well, how would Thor know that? Oh, because he is Thor. But I don't think Stan Lee actually had that in mind. I think maybe that's just, uh, you know, messing up. But the nice thing is, is it actually solves a lot of problems it's just fun to sort of like watch the story develop it was because like you know they obviously didn't know where they were going to go and so really this issue they've caused themselves a lot of problems they're gonna have to figure out how to work out like page five here okay now do you recognize me the god you imprison the god who is your eternal enemy and who has come to earth seeking vengeance and then thor says loki Mm -hmm. okay so does that mean donald just knows the myth that loki is thor's right Whatever. Or does he actually recognize him as Loki? And if so, how does he do that? And also, how does he know that if he rotates his hammer fast enough, it emits antimatter particles? 
<laughs> because of course it does. He was practicing that last Although Thursday, that, right? <laughs> that one actually kind of blows my mind on both ends because it's like, one, how does Don know that his powers work that way if he's never used his hammer before? There's no instruction manual. And two, how does Thor know what antimatter particles are? <laughs> so it's like right, it's like both it's, personalities are melding on that one. That's that's funny. Um Speaking of the hammer, this is the first time they were they call it as being made of Uru metal. Yes. We don't have the name of the hammer yet. We're not going to get that for actually for quite a while. But the name yeah. of the metal being Uru. And Loki has a mental link forged with the hammer that I think goes away later, but I'm not entirely positive. So, obviously, Norse mythology has a name for the hammer. Mm-hmm. So, do you think they just avoided using it because it's really hard to pronounce and spell? I think that's a very likely possibility. Because <laughs> I think, like, my whole life I mispronounced it up until, like, you know, I was 20 or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I mispronounced it, it when I was younger, too. I used to call it Majorliner. Right. Yeah. And then, so, I don't know. I don't know how Jay I got corrected on that, but yeah. Kids today, man, they have the movies that explain everything. Yeah, they yeah. have, uh, what's her name? The awesome meow, actress meow. who plays, yeah. who says, Meow, meow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cat dealing. It's it's somebody. Cat Dennings, she is. isn't it? It is. Am I right on that? Okay, yeah, that's, that, that sounds right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he has the hammer, and oh, so Loki's all like, we're we're enemies, you know, eternally, always to you know be a nemesis. They don't mention that they're brothers. I noticed that, and they're not brothers in the myth. Sure, they are, aren't they? I don't think so, because I was no, looking he's for adopt- that. He's an adopted brother, right? Is, doesn't doesn't Odin adopt him in the myth, or is that all made up? I don't know. See, this is where I stopped, and I should have kept going. Cause, but I just read who his father and mother were, and it's like, well, that doesn't say Odin, so I'm moving on. Right. But yeah, you're right. It could be because he's adopted. I don't know. If there's any mythology people listening, could you please write us letters about how Thor and Loki are really related? <laughs> really, quote, related? Um, <laughs> I like this sentence, though. Sometimes sentences just, you know, they're just total throwaways. But sometimes I wonder, like, why was it there? Like, being superhuman like myself, Thor cannot be conquered by my magic alone. But there are other ways. And I'm just like, well, why even bother saying that? And then I thought, maybe it's to explain why Loki doesn't just turn Thor to a frog. Like, he can't or something. Yeah, there seem to be limits to his... Even though we know later he'll get turned into a frog. But right here, in 1962, like, maybe that's just to prevent... People from writing in going, well, if Loki can just make things animate and change form and stuff, why not attack Thor that way? And maybe gods are just immune to that kind of attack. Um, the hammer has a really long handle. Yeah. And I was trying to decide. So Loki has Thor hypnotized and Thor won't give him the hammer, like hand it over mm-hmm. because the hammer must always be Thor's. A new and so power Loki's rule. like, yep. okay, well, then I'll make a Thor here. Yeah. It's Thor's hammer. Hand it yeah. to Thor, and Thor's like, "Oh, the hammer must belong to Thor." I can't decide if that's really clever or stupidly moronic. I enjoyed it. I do think it's kind of moronic. We could just pass it off as Thor being hypnotized, so he's easily tricked. Um, I also think to begin with. I also think it's cool that Loki used trickery to make it happen because he is the god of lies and deceit and trickery. So, like, I like seeing him do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the hammer sh- is notoriously supposed to have a. Short handle, but Kirby has just gone crazy long on this issue for some reason. I, I visualize this having a short handle, like like no, it just, does. And it in the films, goes past it does. His clenched hand. Okay, and I think it was that way in the first couple issues too, if I'm not mistaken. No, it's it's been pretty long handled so far in the comics. Oh, okay. Well, it gets shorter for sure. Yeah, it does get shorter. He he probably breaks off the end. <laughs> yeah, artist interpretation, I guess. And Loki flies away in a bunch of pigeons. Oh, oh, oh. Before that, though. Yeah. They can't lift the hammer. They actually say why. And it's not because they're not worthy. What it's is that? It's because it's so heavy, only a guy with the strength of Thor could lift it. I can't remember where it says that, though. I'm looking. But they do say, oh. Um, in all of heaven and earth, none but Thor has strength enough to lift it. Page six, page eight, I guess that's the number is. Yeah. So it's like yeah, that, that's what uh, Loki says in all of yeah. Heaven and Earth. Loki says none but Thor has the strength enough to lift it. So that's interesting that that was their initial plan is like you know only Thor can lift it. But then they probably started thinking later, well, like Hulk could lift it probably, or you know whoever else is super strong in the Marvel universe. So they changed it. Yeah, because the language on the hammer 
strictly speaking, anybody should be able to pick up the hammer, but then only if you're worthy do you get the power of Thor. Right. That's yeah. really what the language says. It's just they sort of, you know, gloss over it. it the reminded- hammer does not turn into a staff. Mm, oh, that's very interesting. I didn't think about he that. He turns into Don Blake, but the, th- the hammer does not turn into a staff. And I don't know if it's because he has to thump it for the hammer to transform as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's... Let's look it up. I'm going to look it up real fast because I have all these old comics sitting around here. Um, what happens the first time he realizes when he puts it down... Oh, yeah. It stayed a hammer then, too. Consistency. Yay. Now, there's a particular scene in The Avengers that's going to take us a while to get to where I know that he gets like trapped in a pit. And as Don Blake, he can't get out. Um, and he has to go and get... And I can't remember if it's his staff or his hammer. I feel like it's his staff. And I feel like he only changed back because of being away from his hammer for too long. Mm. So, I don't know. I just... Well, it's, maybe it's the weird. time delay is different. Because, you know, he found it as a staff. So maybe 60 seconds, you'd lose Thor's powers, and then 60 more seconds, the hammer turns to a staff. Oh, wait. And he doesn't smash the hammer to turn into Thor. No, he just touches it. He just grasps the hammer and turns into Thor. Just That's weird. Just like his first appearance. He just put it next yeah. to him, and then he turned to Dawn and went, whoops, and then he reached out and touched it again, and he was Thor again. That's what you were saying about consistency earlier. I missed that. Okay, yeah, yeah that's... Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It works for After me. that, it's all just one big... Chase scene. So does this have a whole this this whole idea of well, first of all, do you feel like Stan really likes Thor as Superman as his Superman? Yeah. Let's talk about that more next appearance. But the train thing really made me think of Superman. Like Loki derails the train or wrecks the track, and and Super Thor has to like hold the railing up so people don't die. Right. It's like that's which you know a high speed train definitely wouldn't mind a speed bump like that. They wouldn't. Just yeah. hitting that speed bump wouldn't derail it at all. <laughs> well, there were people under it, too. I don't okay. know if that mattered. Anyway, actually, no, he raised it because the people were under the track or something. Anyway, but what I was really going to ask you is this, the whole, like, Loki getting wet thing, is that, like, continue or is that just this one issue? Uh, I can't think of any situations where Loki is wet. So, <laughs> honestly, Loki being Freezing. in the water, I don't think they do that much. <laughs> okay. I'm just curious because so, I never knew that. And then that was like news to me that if he gets wet, he becomes powerless. I'm going to suggest that it is 100% consistent with all of the zero happens zero <laughs> times that it happens again. <laughs> I mean, why would that be the case? Because he's a troll? Right. I don't know. I don't know. Is that a thing for trolls? You can't get them wet? Um, it's gremlins. And then, yeah, like, here we go again. Like, how does Don know where Asgard is? He throws the hammer to Asgard and it comes back within a minute. I mean, can we just assume that he didn't just throw it to Asgard, like he somehow opened a portal to Asgard at least, because that would make a little more sense? Uh, yeah, I like that. Because yeah. um, that's just silly otherwise. But but we do, I mean, but you're you're bringing up a good question. Thor seems to know more than Don Blake should know. Yeah. And that's that's a problem that needs addressing by the, by the story. Yeah. Um, I do love how many, um, what did I say, how many... Whenever Loki lands, all the gods are like, oh, look, it's Loki. But look, it's the hammer of Thor. Look how it's bringing Loki. And then it's going to go back to its master. And it was like, my son, Thor. And they give zero frogs at seeing Loki. They're so excited about (laughs) Thor and Thor's hammer. Yeah. So suddenly Thor is real again. And I guess that's I guess. They're like, oh, look. So who's all there? Just so we can cite first appearances. We got Odin, Odin, Balder. Somebody I've never heard of, Tyre, Tyr, Tyr. That's who Tuesday's named after. It's the Norse god of war. Okay. And then, of course, we had Hemdel earlier. So, yeah, the whole cast, except for, like, Sif, is here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sif has a brief appearance in one issue, but she wouldn't actually become a thing until after Jane Foster. Yeah. So, speaking um, of Jane Foster. Speaking of Jane Foster, that uh, person. I'm going to speak about Jane Foster a second. Okay. Okay. I find it kind of annoying how Stan has turned her into like this lame ass character when initially she kind of had some coolness about her. Mm -hmm. Like when we first are introduced to her, she doesn't know anything about Thor and she actually likes Donald Blake. Her thought bubbles are all like, he's a really cool guy. I don't care that he's crippled. I want to date him. He's neat. And Donald Blake's like, she'd never date me. I'm crippled. You know, that kind of thing. As soon as Thor shows up, She's never been the same. Right. Now it's Thor's amazing. 
why do you suck so much, Don? I don't know. It makes me not like right. her as a character, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I just kind of feel that's a shame. Like, Yeah, it really is. She's just pointless. Um, she even occasionally makes cracks about Thor being so strong and Don being so boring. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like that's code for Thor is so strong and you are not strong. Yeah. Because yeah. you're, you know, crippled, lame. She's yeah. Just, she's it's, bad. it's not cool. No, it's just not cool. And that's pretty sad. So I'll, I guess eventually she'll hopefully become cool again, but it's going to be a while. Um, yeah, Jane Foster is in, – in that read-through I did, the things that they do and don't do with Jane are interesting. She is not as big a role in the overall history of Thor as I had always imagined. Until she becomes um, Thor. Until she becomes Thor. <laughs> Which I have actually I mean, read a little bit of. Wow. I need to. I need to read the Aaron, J- Jason Aaron run of Thor. I want to, this summer, I may just like do that start to finish and read that whole run because it sounds so great. Yeah, it was pretty cool. The stuff I read. Um, so this issue is important. We get Loki, of course. We mm-hmm. see a direct connection to Asgard that we've not seen before and the people there. Um, it's conceivable that Thor could have bandied around Earth and never. Um, you know, like the idea is that I was trying to say is that the Thor series as a storyline, they may have just never brought Asgard into it. Right. There's nothing saying they had to bring Asgard in. Like right. he could have just been a dude on Earth with Thor's powers. Mm-hmm. But now that they've brought in the God connection, they're going to have to resolve it. I was actually, I mean, Loki's on the cover, so mm-hmm. you know that's coming. But I was really surprised with the opening shot of Asgard. I honestly didn't think that was going to happen anytime soon. And we get more of it. We do. We get more. So shall we go on to the next comic? Uh, we're good on time. I can do another one. Yeah, yeah. We got we got time for another one. Um, I thought I, I might do I won't four, talk about with... this one at all. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, this one. I don't have as much to say about this one as I did about the previous one. Um, okay, so what happened is that Tales to Astonish thirty six was a second week book in July, and we covered it at the end of July. And now it's a first week book in August, and there are only two first week books. So it's the second of the two. And so that's why we have almost back to back Ant-Man here. Um, <clears throat> Tales to Astonish 37 featuring uh, the Ant-Man trapped by the protector. And I'm just going over to my Ant-Man giant man epic collection on comiXology and I love on the cover we have Ant-Man being shot out of his catapult gun. It's pretty mm-hmm. great. It's a cool cover. I liked it. Okay, so this is Protector as in Protection Racket. Mm-hmm. As in Superman 1940s action comics, Batman flash-stopping gangsters, Protection Rackets. Yep. Like, if you don't pay us money, we're not going to be able to protect you. And if we don't protect you, your shop might get busted up. You know, buy us. Kind of a thing. Right. So... What happens is the story opens with an old man in a jewelry store. His jewelry store has been busted up and he calls the police and the police are talking about it. And um, Ant-Man hears what's going on. So he goes to interview with a guy and um, decides that he wants to, there's, there's a particular person with a costume and a getup and everything. He's big. He has a disintegrator gun. He just shoots at your jewelry and your cases of valuables that you're selling and they'll turn into dust. So Henry Pym decides he's going to trap the guy by setting up his own shop. Um, The protector shows up. I'm really simplifying here because there's not a whole lot to the plot that I can remember. Um, Henry Pym tricks the protector using his ant man, using his ants. He beats the guy and unveils that it's actually the old man store clerk from the beginning um, wearing like a big old body mechanical suit. Mm-hmm. And so he gets taken off by the police. Yeah. And that's all I remember from the story. That's pretty much it. I mean, there's just a lot of ant shenanigans on how he does that. And then at one point mm-hmm. he like rents or leases a jewelry store just to have a fake jewelry store for the guy to attack. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's all essentially just to beat the guy. And the ant stuff in this, I don't know, I kind of felt like it was a bit more random, a bit less organic. He gets caught in a vacuum for no reason. He gets caught in a storm drain for no reason. 
Um, and so he has to get out of these things like the storm yeah. drain. Oh, I have to get a matchstick and held it perpendicular to the rails to keep myself from falling through. Oh, I'm trapped in a vacuum cleaner. I have to poke my whole, you know, carve a hole out of the bag to get out that sort of thing. But it's not really organic to the plot. It's more to have ant stuff happen in the plot. Well, like you just summarized the plot was two sentences and you know, the entire book is everything but the plot. Like, all these weird things he has to do to get to the plot, essentially, or get around the plot. And um, the vacuum cleaner thing was actually my favorite part because it's like when he went in there, I thought, but you're, you've got, you know, full size man strength. Why are you stuck in a vacuum cleaner? And he actually heard me because he just punched his way out of the vacuum bag, right? It's mm-hmm. like finally he didn't rely on the ants to get him out of the vacuum bag. He just was like, oh, no, actually, I'm strong. And punched out of the vacuum bag. But then other things like falling in the grate and stuff is like, again, why can't you just go back to normal size and solve your problem, you know? Yeah. Um, And the pencil thing, I think this issue more than the last issue, maybe I should have talked about it this issue. This issue more than the last issue is where the ants really start getting on my nerves. Like everything is ants. It happened a little bit to me too, this issue. Like the first couple scenes, I was kind of like, ooh, ants again. And I felt like... I wanted like an action theme, like Perry the Platypus, doobie doobie doo wa doobie doobie. You know, the ants are going to go tell Ant Man about the ant problems, and yeah. But after a while, it just felt like a bother. Well, like he's 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 fallen down this, or the oh my god, the protector shoots him with a squirt gun, right? And that makes him fall down this sidewalk in a stream of water, and he's mm-hmm. coming to the grate, like you said. He actually has the ants take the pencil. And put it perpendicularly on the gr- perpendicularly on the grate, so that he can catch himself. Yeah, and it's stuff like that. It's like have enough time for that, right? It's like how fast are ants? You know, like okay, fine, they're strong enough to lift scissors or whatever, but are they that fast? Like that that scene in the last comic where they cover the fluorescent lights so it gets dark. It's like that would have taken an hour and a half for them to do that. You know, stuff like that. It's just like the ants are maybe just a little too powerful, mm-hmm. a little too. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they should be robot ants or something. That'd be more interesting. But <laughs> um, I don't know about your issue, but my issue, Hank Pym now has brown hair. Oh. Um, Maybe at the beginning. Color. I do see the brown hair whenever he's setting up his shop. Oh, did he just change his hair color for the shop? That's I'm looking back at the beginning of the story. We don't see him as Ant-Man at the beginning. No, he has brown hair at the beginning, too. Now, I'm looking at a digital copy, so these always have the possibility of having been recolored. Um, but but why would they recolor them wrong? Right. Well, yeah. it's always wrong if they change the color. In my opinion, it's always gonna be wrong. But um, use the original colors. Just make them, you know, brighter. Right. But yeah, other than him being in the shop and a one, you know, wide shot where we get a, a back view of his head, he does have the uh, brown hair in both of those scenes. Yeah. So I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. I forgot. Okay, and then the ending. Not to be just negative about this whole book, but it like literally is the exact same ending as the last one we read. Another, uh, another uh, Jenkins reveal. Yeah. The first person you talk to happens to be the villain in the end, you know? And then Mm -hmm. there's this whole business with like, he really stole the jewels and then like pulled out a big 28 pound sandbag and, Oh, that was dumb. And replaced it. Like, okay. So I don't know. The disintegrator guns a fake, right? The disintegrator guns a fake. So his protection racket was, he goes in Give me money. No. Okay. Then I shoot your jewelry case with my disintegrator gun and it turns into powder. But then in the end, it's revealed that no, he actually, uh, the disintegrator gun just shoots out like mist or something. And when he's under cover of the mist, he somehow steals all the jewelry and then replaces it with sand or something. So he has all this time, even though it supposedly happens instantaneously. So. When I was reading it, I kind of liked the old man Jenkins reveal at the end, but I I agree that the disintegrator gun was so, so, so dumb. Yeah. And um, at the very, very end of the story, which I'm flipping to now as I'm getting ready to talk about it, he's riding off on his aunt down the crowded sidewalk, (laughs) which seems so very dangerous. Yeah, really. He apparently hasn't found any flying ants yet. That will be much more beneficial for him. And I, I like that because I do have in my head like pictures of him like straddling two ants like a chariot with the wasp flying beside him. Yeah. Maybe getting the wasp will give him a reason to have flying ants. I think he just goes giant at that point, but we'll see. There's there's some time. Oh, is there? Okay. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like the way this strip goes is they have an idea. 
Like, oh, cool, ants. You know, we'll do all these cool little ant gimmicks. And they start running out of creativity with that. So they bring in the wasp Mm -hmm. to sort of revitalize the comic. And then they make him big to sort of revitalize the comic. And after a while, they can't revitalize the comic anymore. And the Ant-Man goes away. Well, you know, Hank, quite a while. Hank has no personality. I just realized that right now. Oh, yeah. He has zero personality. And when he's in the Avengers, like after the first initial team, when he leaves the Avengers and comes back, all of his drama is with his size-changing powers having problems. Yeah. I think I realized that when you said they bring in the Wasp because they run out of ideas. And the Wasp is full of character. Yeah. Um, Good or bad in the 60s, we'll find out. But she at least has a personality. And Fantastic Four have a pretty distinct personality. And the Hulk, obviously, is a big personality. And Thor, I don't know. Maybe Donald Blake is kind of lifeless, too, right now. But, yeah, Hank is just, like, all gimmick. I feel like I know Don Blake a little bit better than Hank Pym as a person. Yeah, well, but he's yeah. a, he's at least a cripple and a doctor. But, yeah, but just... he's, like, confident and clever and he likes Jane. I don't know. Yeah, There's there you a go. Little bit to there him you there. go. He likes Jane, so that's a personality. Um, he yeah, al- he also only has one story so far, whereas most of these people we're covering have an entire comic book. Or I guess Hank only has one story too. No, he's having two stories. This is Hank's third. No, I mean like within the issue itself. Does he get a two? Does he get a half uh, a book or a quarter of a book? Or how many stories is he sharing the book with? He's half the book, and then they have some shorter backups. I feel so like I feel like Thor has twelve shorter of the twenty-four stories. pages, or maybe that's not true. You feel like who has shorter stories? Thor. Okay, so Thor has thirteen pages. At least yeah, the, at least the last one we read, and Ant Man that you just covered has thirteen, 13 pages. Man. Okay, so Thor just reads faster for me, I guess, because <laughs> I like it more. <laughs> maybe it goes much faster. It's all like it's mostly just fighting, which again I think, like I think I said already, like Kirby Thor fighting is just pretty awesome, even if the story is not good. You know, that that executioner story that neither of us like, there's still the fact that he, like, generates a whirlwind and smacks planes in half with his thunderous awesomeness, you know. So there's something to like. But Well, speaking of thunderous awesomeness, there is a pretty cool house ad panel on this last page. Uh-huh. Um, don't miss all the amazing superheroes, which everyone is talking about. You get the mighty Thor appearing in Journey into Mystery, the Human Torch appearing in Strange Tales, and, of course, the Fantastic Four and the Incredible Hulk, America's greatest fantasy characters. So this is the first time I feel like Marvel is saying, hey, look, these four comics, or five, because it's appearing in the Ant-Man comic, these five comics are a family of comics we're doing that are all kind of together and separate from everything else. Yeah. There's no there's no Millie the Model ad here. There's no yeah. Gunsmoke Western here. This is superheroes. Right. And they're calling the Incredible Hulk a superhero. Yeah. Well, right now, he's a super uh, robot for Rick, anyway. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, the Ant-Man is working a little more in tandem with the police in this issue. He's helping them do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no, like, ant signal in the sky, but, you know, there's a cooperation that seems to benefit everyone. Interestingly enough, he he is the most fantastic thing in his world. Like, his ants and his ant powers and his catapult gun and everything, I mean... No one is acting like there's anything more awesome, which is probably as it should be. Well, um, they, they aren't in any other book either. Yeah. But his enemies are not like super powered or anything. He's stopped a no. spy and oh, a, that's a would-be gangster. Right. I get what you're saying. Right. Um, but that's all I have for this issue. Yep. And we have definitely passed our hour mark. Okay. So, so let's, uh, we let's can end it on an Ant-Man. End it on an Ant-Man. It sounds like a song of some sort. Um if you want to tell them where they can find us, then I can thank some people who've liked us. Okay. Well, you can find us at the name of our show, Make Ours Marvel, and then you add a .com to the end of that. That's where you'll find our link to our Facebook page, Google Plus page, Twitter page. So all the three top social guys. Um, and then we'll, we have an iTunes link and a general RSS feed link. So you can plug into any MP3 player. And then we have a handy-dandy contact form that you can use to write to us which would be awesome uh or if you don't want to use our form you could just write directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com and you can like the show at twitter you can uh 
sorry, you can follow the show on Twitter or like the show on Facebook. And I want to send some thanks to people who have been supporting us in these early days because as we're recording, the show has not actually started coming out yet. Um, and so many, many thanks go out to Maz. It's just M-A-Z Maz. That's his, that's his name. Um, he has the Nerds Uncanny website. Uh, Kevin Ewing, he's a Spider-Man fan friend from Twitter. He's also part of the weekly Drunk Pete events that I mentioned last uh, time we did thanks. Ben Rush is a friend. Big Daddy Bacon's Big Daddy. Wow. That's his name. Yeah, that's that's his that's his handle. Um Zachary Joyner of SpideyDude.com and the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast. Uh Eric Von Royer and longtime friend and previous co-host on some projects, Joshua Lappin Bertoni, Ben Hamlin, Ethan Parker, Ryan Daly of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Ben Grimm liked us. What? Yeah. Right? Wow, so I don't know if he we better say some nice stuff. About I was just going to say, let's not bash before. Ben ever again. Right. I mean, it probably hurt our hands anyway, if we try to bash him. So, <laughs> and then uh, Mike Hodges and Timothy Bellucci. Thank you all for your support of the show. Hopefully you have been enjoying it and uh, let us know what you think on the Facebook or the Twitter or the emails. So I guess that wraps us up. Yeah. All right. Well, until Loki goes back in time, and makes Odin adopt him in the first place, make ours marvel. marvel.